Welcome to a special edition of the Darden Admissions Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. So on this episode of the podcast, we resume our ongoing faculty spotlight series, what we call Office Hours. This is the production between Darden Admissions and Darden Ideas to Action with a conversation with June West. June is the Marjorie R. Sands Associate Professor of Business Administration here at the Darden School of Business, and she is also a member of the communication faculty. Recently connected with June to talk more about her background, what led her to Darden, what she loves about working with students on their communication skills, and so much more. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. And of course, be sure to check back for additional installments from the Office Hour series throughout the summer months. So without further ado, here's my interview with June West. Well, I think we're going to go ahead and ease into this session. We'll give uh, uh, a minute or two here um, as I do a little bit of an introduction, but I want to welcome you all in for our ongoing faculty conversation series, Office Hours. June, I was doing a little bit of research on this series as I was getting prepared for today. You're the 12th participant. So uh, we have already had 11 of these conversations. If you're curious, um, you want to go back and listen to them. They're available on our podcast. You can also find them on our Discover Darden blog. You are also kicking off our third season Excellent. of Office Hours. So Excellent. We're excited about the conversations we have scheduled for this summer. Uh, if you're curious about the next installment of Office Hours, be June 17th at 10 a.m. with a member of our quantitative analysis faculty, Manel Bossels. Uh, so come back uh, for that. But uh, I'm joined today by a member of our communication faculty, June West. Uh, June uh, teaches all kinds of students here at the Darden School of Business. She works with full-time MBA students. She also teaches uh, electives to our executive MBA students. And she'll be working with the inaugural cohort of part-time MBA program uh, teaching leadership communication uh, course in the required core curriculum. In June, I remember we were at a cookout um, back in August, September timeframe, and you said, I really want to be working with the part-time cohort, and it's happening. So uh, happening. That, that's awesome. Yes. So welcome, yes. June. Thank very you for exciting. Being very exciting. Thank you very much, um, Brett, for inviting me to the um, office hours for Darden and to kicking off the, the new season. How exciting for me. Greetings, everyone, from wherever you're, you're beaming in from. Uh, thank you very much for taking your time, as Brett said, on Friday to join us to chat a bit. I'm very excited to share um, my personal and professional experiences um, with you and to talk about why I've been at Darden for a little more than 25 years. Um, and I welcome any questions that you have throughout the, the, the webinar. So please, I guess, Brett, they send them to you and Maggie. Yeah, I'll keep an eye on the Q&A. And I've please got some do. questions for you, June. Um, I right. so enjoyed our prep conversation for this one. This <laughs> is, we got a lot of things to get into. Yes, here, so. we do. So maybe we start just by tell us a little bit more about your background. I think that's one of the great things about these conversations is people get to learn a little bit more about the personal stories of the Darden faculty. Well, and, and I very rarely share personal stories. So Brett has, has uh, awakened me a little bit to, to give you some background um, about myself. The most fascinating fact that I uh, have, I've been a faculty member at the Darden School for more than 25 years was that when I was searching for colleges back in the day, I couldn't UVA was not on my list. Neither was Columbia or Princeton or Harvard or Lehigh, where I ended up teaching as well, uh, Lafayette, Yale, many of the others, because they were all male. And what's just so um, 
exciting for me is I always stop before I walk into a classroom at the Darden School, either here in residence at Charlottesville or in our Sands family grounds up in Roslyn, and just sort of pinch myself. It was it's just ironic that I'm now teaching at UVA, but I could not come here as a student. I might change that, though. I, I wanted to, years ago to be a um, art historian, curator in museums, and I started working in the Cleveland Museum of Art at 13. And I've always wanted to get back to that. So I might just start taking some classes at the University of Virginia in, in their art, beautiful art and architecture department. So times have changed. When I began teaching MBAs in the early 1980, uh, classes were all engineers. I was at Lehigh University and um, they were all male. So times have changed. I think we were seeing almost 47%, if not 50% of women, Brett, in our part-time program, which is um, wonderful numbers. We also have high numbers here in the residential program for women and um, international students uh, very much have uh, been joining us, which is great news. We need that kind of diversity of thought in the classroom. So very exciting. I'm a native of Cleveland, Ohio. I say that proudly because Cleveland, Ohio gets such a bad rap, but I grew up in Cleveland and, and love it very much. If you ever have a chance to visit there, don't pay attention to the bad rumors. It's a beautiful, beautiful city. I'm also a proud high school graduate of Beaumont School for Girls. I went to all girls schools in my life, which was fun. And Beaumont was a wonderful experience. It was an Ursuline convent school located in Cleveland Heights, Ohio. Um, still going strong today and still all girls. So that's exciting. I also am a first generation college student um, and the only member of my entire extended family that holds three degrees. I um Paid for all of my college expenses by myself, so I always worked going to school. Undergraduate at University of Tennessee, I was a full-time student, but I also worked in order to pay for that education. And then I went on to Kent State University and Lehigh University at night. And so I finished my doctorate at night while I was working full-time, had two uh, school-aged children and a husband with a very important job uh, running Lehigh University's laboratory um, school. So... Um, I understand all about the part-time program people who will join us and how hard and difficult it is to manage all of those different roles, but it's well worth the the effort. And I must say to all of you, if you do have children, uh, my kids always did their homework with me in various libraries, regardless of where I was, and they both have such a wonderful passion for um, um, beautiful libraries such as the one on the Lehigh University campus and, of course, the ones here at UVA. I am a mom. I have two sons. My son, Nathan West, is here in Charlottesville and is a serious entrepreneur. He was one of the first local um, small businesses to was invited to join Darden's uh, Innovation Lab, iLab, several years ago and helped us launch his sweet hot sauce business called MadHatterFoods.com. He um, is always coming up with all kinds of stuff and is running a couple of companies. My oldest son, Benjamin, uh, moved to Paris, France, and Lyon, France, 20 years ago and has never come really back except to visit. He lives now and works there in the luxury um, business. And my late husband, Fred West, was an advocate of autism in the very early years in the 1970s and 80s and uh, very much an advocate for children and adults with disabilities and special needs. And what's really gratifying, um, even though he's not here to, with us today, 
is many of his innovations are now standard operating procedures for children and young adults, particularly with autism. It was his passion. And I will end by saying my two passions are automobiles. I love cars and I love fishing. And though we won't talk about that if you get down to grounds or Sands Family Grounds when you join us at the, the Darden School, I'll be happy to talk for hours about my two passions. So a little bit about me. Well, thank you, June. So much uh, richness there in what you just shared. Uh, one of the things that is always fun to hear faculty reflect on is how they got interested in their expertise area. So you're an expert in leadership communication. You teach all kinds of courses. You do executive education. Uh, you're involved in so much uh, here around this topic. I wonder what brought you to uh, communication? What, what really got you interested in this concept? I began my career as an editor and a public relations person, um, editing magazines at the University of Tennessee and their Center for Business and Economic Research, and then went on and we moved back to Cleveland and I was the senior editor of the Martha Holden Jennings Foundation, a philanthropic organization. And I just loved writing. I loved to write, loved editing magazines, seeing the final product come together. And my friends, that was the days before computers where we actually had big printing presses uh, that printed out our magazines. And I was always invited by the the um, print shop to stand and, and get the first copy of my magazine off those big print shops. It was always a fun day. But leadership is communication, a very important part. And I think we're, we're, I don't, I don't, I don't think I know that today we're seeing so many examples of good and bad communication. My colleagues and I took, uh, took note during the COVID when we were all isolated of all the messages that were coming out of the C-suites of our corporations, and we called them either useful or useless. And so what's very important today, post-COVID world, global, a global world, is the ability to be able to communicate to everyone in real time. Very important to me. Uh, how do we communicate in a global and international uh, realm? And also when our graduates um, come back, our alumni, the first thing they say is the two courses that they really use every day are their courses in leadership communication and leading organizations. And one of our most respected alumni, good friend, Scott Price, uh, chief strategy officer at UPS often comes to classes to chat. And he always says all he does all day long is counsel, advise, and communicate. So he said those two courses were very important. And I just, you know, as I said, after I um, left the, the practitioner world back in the late 70s and began teaching in 1980, my first class was all engineers, evening class, and PhDs in engineers and master's degrees in engineers. And they were going back to get their MBA. And helping them understand how they really were expert communication um, communicators was really moving to me. And so that's, I've just stayed with it and thoroughly enjoyed it through those, these several decades. We won't say how many, you can do the math. Well, I love that point about this being a topic, a, a subject that can have a lot of impact uh, for students, not only during their time at Darden, but throughout their, their careers. Um, you mentioned your very personal journey with the University of Virginia, you know, looking at this maybe as a prospective student, realizing that you couldn't uh, be a student at UVA because it was an all-male institution at that time. Coming back around to now being a faculty uh, member here, uh, how did you get to Darden? I came as a visiting professor. Um, my husband was running a school for children with special needs in Greensboro, North Carolina, and I had uh, left um, teaching at uh, New York University. 
and was in Greensboro, and uh, UVA needed a, a visiting professor in the field of leadership communication, so I commuted for a year, and at the end of the year, the dean was so very gracious to offer me a job, and I said, absolutely, I'd be, I'd be happy to. So I moved the family, including my husband, up here to uh, Charlottesville, and, and that was almost, oh goodness, 27 years ago, I guess, so have enjoyed every minute, every day, every student, every student. Well, one of the things that if folks look at their at your faculty bio, and they absolutely should, uh, that really comes through as you read through the paragraphs there, is your passion for education, innovation, curriculum design. You've worked with a lot of different kinds of programs uh, through your career. What got you interested in, in these topics? At Darden, we have such an entrepreneurial spirit, uh, not just with our students, but with our faculty. And um, very much we are all, all always encouraged to um, innovate, to work with colleagues, work with colleagues in schools across the um, the university grounds to um, bring the most up-to-date, current, relevant uh, topics to our students. And so that's what really excites me about the Darden School it just allows for that kind of out-of-the-box thinking. And I've really had a blank canvas, Brett, for innovation and curriculum design um, in the field of communication because it's changing so much. And particularly as we see today, we have to be current and relevant. Our classes cannot use the same material year to year. So we are, everyone wants to know, what are you doing this summer? We aren't on the beach, my friends. We're, we're in our offices um, updating those, those classes that will start in August uh, 15th, not too much far away. Um, what was fascinating to me during COVID is now, and I'm hearing from CEOs just in the last couple of weeks, I was able to visit a couple of companies through a program we'll talk about maybe later. Um, you know, how do you communicate with a workforce that was mandated to stay home? How do you communicate with a workforce now that is totally global? Um, people are not living anymore where we all used to live and work together. People are all over the world in all different time zones. How do you communicate with them? How as a manager do you, do you create culture, a culture that people are feeling uh, motivated? They're feeling that they're, um, they're not isolated, that they're part of uh, a program. I know what we talk about here at the Darden Schools Hall Talk. We all enjoy just seeing each other in the hall and maybe chatting about what we're doing and finding out that we have some synergies that we might work on. How do you replicate that in a, a, an environment now that um, you're not seeing people in the hallways anymore. You're going to see them on, on camera. So it's just this whole field of communication has just become even more fascinating than it was back in the day when I started, which I must admit, folks, we had an electric typewriter, the U.S. Postal Service, a uh, secretary, and uh, the fax machine was our newest innovation. <laughs> well, June, I want to stick with this communication during this increasingly virtual workplace moment, mm -hmm. because we actually got a question in the Q&A and to our attendees. Um, if you have questions as we go along here, Please, it's yeah. invariably the case yeah. with these office hours conversations that we're not able to get to every question. Uh, but you've said something here that aligns with the first question that we've gotten here. And so how do you think communication is going to continue to evolve here, leadership communication Ooh. specifically, um, yeah. given that it seems like workforces in many industries will be uh, increasingly virtual, maybe fully uh, virtual, maybe a little bit of time in the offices, but this doesn't seem to be going away for some jobs. In no, no, it's not. And it's become even more critical. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was in the uh, boardroom of a 
Fortune 50 company with a CEO, and all this gentleman talked about was employee retention and employee motivation and attrition. And how do you motivate older workers to work with younger workers? And some of the changing trends that they he was seeing in uh, it was a very fascinating conversation because we didn't talk at all about numbers or or percentages or profit and loss or what was going on. It was all about this employee engagement. It was very much top of mind for him um, on how do you do this. Um, I think what's what's really important is this idea of knowing your audience. If I would say there's anything in the communication realm that's the most important is understanding who is in your audience, who are you talking to, who are your employees, and how do you adjust your messages for each of them and for your team? That also makes you have to have a healthy sense of yourself. So we spend a lot of time in the leadership classroom and in the leading organization classrooms on understanding who you are. What are your, your leadership styles? What are your communication styles? What do you do well? Um, and, and what, what do you really need to, to work on? And then just message structure strategy. That's my favorite place. And my students laugh at me is how do you organize information? for the audience so that they are getting it in the way that you want it to come across and that you're uh, getting the feedback that you want, not just any old feedback, but exactly what you've asked for. And that's what's exciting about communication. And it's becoming more exciting today because it's global. And those challenges of being able to communicate in other people's languages, at least to have your messages translated, to talk to your um, employees in Singapore, or I do a lot of work in Bahrain and Dubai to make sure that we're not making them uh, get up in the middle of the night to, to chat with us. So all of those complexities now become so much more rich as we begin to, to worry about communication as we should. I really appreciate your point about the self-understanding that's rooted in these classes. I think one of the surprising things as I've talked with MBA students here at Darden across all of our formats is the amount of self-work they do during the MBA program. People come, they're really focused on hard skills, right? Things like accounting and finance or thinking about those gaps that they have and then discover, I'm asking a lot of questions about who I am and how people react to or perceive me. Yes. Maybe a surprise. Yes, that's so very important. And you're absolutely right. It is surprising for them, particularly in our classes, where that's that's front and center is first, who are you? Who do you communicate? We always start with why are you communicating? What is your purpose? Why are you writing? Why are you talking to us? Um, why is this coming out at the time it is? And then the second thing I always say to the students is, what is your credibility? How credible are you? You have high initial credibility because you are from the Darden School getting an MBA, or I'm a faculty member at the Darden School. The University of Virginia gives us high credibility in the beginning when people first don't even know us, but they, they hear about us. And then you want to make sure that your acquired credibility maintains that high initial credibility so that when they meet you, they go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a that's a Darden MBA. That person graduated from the Darden School. Yeah, we expect this from those folks. So that idea of credibility. And then the last piece that I ask students to take a look at is what is what I call, what is your frame of reference? Years ago in leading organizations, we used to call them the VABES, good colleague, now retired Jim Clausen, you know, values, attitudes, beliefs, and expectations. What are your VABES? What are your values? What is your attitudes? What are your, what do you believe in? What are your expectations? Call, I kind of call it your family DNA. And in many ways, it's not something that you can change. It's what's you were because of where you came from. Um, 
But you also need to understand that so that when you are working with someone who is different than you are, that you need to perhaps um, understand where you're coming from, where that person is coming from, and where you can find those synergies. So those are the four things I would say. Why are you speaking, writing? What is your credibility initial versus acquired? And um, what is your personal value, uh, attitudes, beliefs, and expectations? So kind of simple, but um, rather important. One of the things that's been fun to talk with faculty about here as part of this series is just what it's like to teach in the Darden classroom. Uh, June and I recognize uh, we're a little bit off the script uh, that I'd share with you questions, <laughs> but I actually think it's something that it's kind of intersected with something you said earlier, right? You're trying every summer to keep your curriculum as current as yep. possible, writing new cases yep. and communication feels like the sort of thing that you practice, right? And what better place to practice than in a case method Darden? school? Right? In the, oh my gosh, that's what's so much fun about Darden. Uh, I had never taught in a case method school before I came to Darden. And it's just so much fun. It's hard to stop talking and lecturing and showing your PowerPoint slides. That's the first thing. You have to kind of give up that, you know, kind of command of the classroom because we've now turned it over to our students for rich and robust conversations on our, on a case, uh, case study. We still have our lesson plans. We still have what we want to get through to make sure. Uh, at the end of the 90-minute day that we've covered the facts that we were supposed to in, in terms of uh, what the case had said. But what's so exciting about the classroom is just you have 65 people with all different opinions coming from all different places, all different expertise, and just the conversation. But you have to begin to make sure that you come prepared to speak. You can't sit in the Darden classroom and not talk. We expect that of you, and um, I work with students. Uh, our classes are only 30, 35, so it allows us to work individually with students and make sure that they find their voice. And they find that when they leave the Darden School after two years, that not just their courses in leading organizations and leadership communication, but in accounting and finance and strategy, marketing, that because of that classroom conversation and the fact that you are asked and cold called and on a a minute to say what you you know what do you feel about this what are you thinking uh, prepares you so well to go out into the, the whatever organization environment that you're going to be going to um, lately my passion has been civil discourse we do that at the Darden School when you come to the Darden School we make sure that every opinion is heard and allowed to be heard and maybe de debated uh, from one side or the other, but I am just a passionate, passionate believer in the idea of civil discourse. And I want to hear from you. Your opinions are different than me, then get them out there. Let's talk about it. Because in the end, when you're going to be a, a leader uh, sitting around a board table with your executive teams trying to decide whether or not you should stop uh, selling Coca-Cola in Russia because of the Russian-Ukraine uh, uh, conflict, you need all voices to talk to, to you about, is this a good idea? Why is it not a good idea? What are the implications? What are the impacts? What, what are some of the, the things? And that's where you have to have good civil discourse. That runs a little counter to where we are as a world right now in terms of hearing other ideas and having that robust conversation and that openness. Well, um, that's what universities are for. And that's, that is the place for civil discourse. If we don't have it in Congress, American Congress right now, in legislature, or we don't have it in our homes, it has to be at the university. I, I will passionately advocate for that forever, that the one place we know that we can come and have safe conversations about all topics is either university or colleges of your choice. And that's what the classroom is all about. 
that is what the Darden case method class is all about. Well, June, one of the things that I really loved, I watched your faculty video, which also recommend to our attendees today. It's so you old. said, Hey, a lot of good content. I really, right. I really appreciate it. You said in that video that you love helping students find their leadership presence with positive ethos. I recognize that some of our attendees here are thinking about this course and communication and the centrality and importance of this as they move forward in their careers and thinking maybe something like, gosh, public speaking makes me nervous. Uh, I'm not comfortable speaking in front of a group right now. How am I going to how am I going to get there? And in that video, you talk about helping students develop in this way. So do you want to share a little bit more about what you enjoy about that work? Oh, it's great fun. And so many people are so fearful of, of getting in front of um, public and public speaking. And I tell my students, it's one of the most fun things to do. So you'll hear from my speaking about business um, alumni students. Our goal always is number one, to have fun because getting up in front of a group and being able to share your ideas and, and listen to other people's ideas is just so much fun. And, and to put together a good presentation your uh, speaking skills also are one of the main skills that will promote you in an organization because people are not comfortable speaking in public when a rarity like a Darden grad comes out and is very comfortable because of cold calls and the way that our case method uh, uh, classes work, plus good courses like speaking about business that really force you to, to talk. Um, you are recognized in, uh, in interviews, you're recognized in uh, when you're working and certainly are promoted. Um, so many researchers call it the inner critic. Several of us have a higher, stronger inner critics than other people. Um, as a raised, I was raised Catholic and the nuns used to tell us that the, you know, bad angel sat on your left shoulder and the good angel sat on your right shoulder. So I always think of the inner critic was on my left shoulder and kind of brushed her off every now and then when she gets overactive about what she's not liking about what I'm saying. And so you kind of have to calm that inner critic. Um, so that's what we work on. We work on practice and preparation. The more you prepare and for a public speaking event, the more you practice, the more confidence you will feel because you have the content down. I always have several students that walk in and say, Oh, June, I don't want to be scripted. I just want to, I just want to wing it. And I go, well, you know, I'm from Cleveland. I don't think LeBron James just sort of walks onto the basketball court and wings it or Tiger Woods or Jack Nicholas or any of our unbelievable Olympians spend years and years and years. Those of you in the audience who were sports, played sports, played uh, instruments, understand practice. And that's exactly what you need to do for public speaking. You got to practice. Can we talk about speaking about business for a second? Sure. Uh, this is an elective. I yeah. want to say this for our attendees because I get to see our executive MBA students while they're in residency. And when you were teaching your class, I kept running into executive MBA <laughs> students who were just so excited about this class. So tell us a little bit more about speaking about business. Oh, the, the, the hardest part was having 40, 50 or 60 students in a, a speaking about business class that only runs six weeks and have 15, 14 sessions and everybody wants to practice. So we do it in small groups and small groups of four or five, depending. And each um, class, there's a, a particular topic that's very broad and, and general and frankly, have come from the students themselves. So my first years, when they come back as second years, I always poll them to see what was going on in business in your summer internships? What were some of the things that you had to do? 
And so the first um, change that we made several years ago is people said, you know, we were asked to introduce ourselves. And um, your new team, what do you say about yourself? And so that's our first speaking uh, assignment. And it goes on to how do you give bad news? Um, how do you give a, a controversial topic? How do you sell a product or um, um, a service? So very, very common things that we do on an everyday basis. And they do it in small groups and, and videotape and get feedback. And then at the end of the year, the end of the term, actually, we do an expert panel, which is just great fun. And the, the small groups each pick a pan, uh, topic that they feel they can speak for 20 minutes, 30 minutes on as a group. And we have a, a great expert panel. Uh, I'm a uh, Sunday morning talk show junkie, so I love Fareed Zakaria. And Fareed, if you're listening, we'd love to have you come to the Darden School. And I just love the way he runs his Sunday morning show. And so I tell them to watch the Sunday morning shows, and this is how we're going to conduct ourselves. And they have a lot of fun. Uh, we have to have a moderator, which is a hard job. How do you keep people moving along? What about questions? What about preparing in advance? How do you have a slide deck that's, that's cohesive? And uh, But, of course, our objective at every class is just to have fun. I love the idea that Fareed Zakaria is out there tuning into our office. Oh, that wouldn't that be fabulous? I so <laughs> I just love his morning shows on Sunday. We well, have almost what 150 people with us right now. Yeah, we're doing all right. Uh, not quite CNN numbers, but we're doing okay. Um, Send in your questions, please. Yeah. So one of the things that's coming up a little bit here, June, in the Q and A, is like people are asking about communicating in different types of organizations, right? Mm -hmm. I, I work in federal government versus the private sector or mm -hmm. a tech company versus a healthcare company. How do you help people think about how that organizational context mm -hmm. may drive uh, communication approach or style? It, it probably hinges on some of the challenges and barriers that those structures uh, give you, uh, for sure. Um, I remember I had a phone call from an alum a year or two ago during COVID. COVID was, we were getting through COVID and uh, she was working in a uh, health care um, product company and wanted to get her products back into the surgical suites in the hospitals because elective surgery had, had been um, stopped during COVID for uh, dealing with all of the COVID patients. But she's not in marketing and sales. This was business development. And we talked about that. And it, it's, it's an interesting um, demarcation where she did not feel that she could go ahead and do a marketing piece to her uh, clients. It was more of an informational piece to say, hey, look at us. Remember, you know, we used to be in your stock rooms. And so we came up with a stock room um, video type um, uh, message that showed a, a hospital stock room. I did some work in college and in uh, surgical suites, stocking stock rooms. So I'm pretty familiar with them. And so we had this sort of visual of all of their products in the stock room for, you know, whatever they would need. It was a nice way of communicating. But again, understanding that you're not selling, you're simply informing. And that's one of the keys to good communication is this idea of am I telling people something, just informing them that's not going to upset them? Or am I trying to change their behavior and persuade them. Again, if we go back to what I talked about a couple of minutes ago, that those four pieces, why are you communicating? What is your credibility? What is your, um, your background? And then what is your message structure strategy should get you to be able to communicate in all industries and sectors, understanding then 
what that's where the audience analysis comes into play is who are you dealing with? Are you dealing with a bureaucratic bureaucratic federal space? Are you dealing with a bureaucratic uh, defense um, industry group of people? Uh, very different from uh, consulting a Deloitte or a, a Boston uh, group or McKinsey or hospital, UVA Health Services or a place like Darden. You know, what are all those cultures that are different? And then who are you communicating to? Um, don't tell my deans, but when I go to see them, I usually have a 30 minute time uh, section. And usually that is because of time running over, sometimes only goes to maybe 15 or 20 minutes. And so I make sure that I have some talking points that only are going to take 15 or 20. I can expand to 30 if I, if I get that option or if they want to talk to me longer. And I'm also cool about only having a 15 minute window to get my, my, my points across. And then I leave behind something because that's what I understand my audience in terms of my boss's need. Uh, so they don't see me. They'll also have something that they can look at when they have more time because they're very busy people. But so understand that that issue of audience analysis is key. It's only one to one, one to 400, one to 150 today. You know, what are some of those complexities? And then all of the different things. What's so cool about audience analysis is, you know, we all come from different places. And so you're, you're dealing with folks who have different attitudes and languages and backgrounds and, and, you know, engineers and accountants and finance people and educators and historians and you get all those people together. And that is, that is a real challenge to make sure that you can communicate to all of those people and get your message across. That's the key. It's what you want to get across for them to hear and remember. Well, June, one of the things you mentioned previously is also you have this real interest in the sort of structural approach to communication. Too. Yeah. Um, and to your earlier point, when you were commenting about winging it uh, and how that's probably not the best strategy, I also was thinking a little bit about you know, structurally, what do you work with students on and sort of thinking about that discipline as they're communicating um, with audiences? That's great fun when it comes to communication. A lot of people don't understand that there are so many frameworks out there, much like you would find in an accounting class or a marketing class or a finance class. We have structures and frameworks that we work from. And I have probably six or seven that I um, will use with students that I pick because of their industries and tell them, you know, which which ones work for you. Uh, one of my favorites is something called uh, from Peter Senge. Uh, called Current Reality Strategic Intent. And my oldest son in, in France uses this one all the time. And all Senge says is if you're starting a writing project or speaking project, talk about what's going on right now. What's the current reality in the organization? And then you might want to look at, okay, five years from now, five months from now, two months from now, what what's our intent? What's our strategic intent? Where do we want to get to in that um, time period? And then what Senge says is that opens a gap about what needs to go. So what do you need to get rid of and what needs to come in? What are some of the resources that you need to make this to get to your strategic intent? That one just speaks to me. You can write a report about it. You can write a five-paragraph email about it. I do two-day focus groups just with that four buckets. Uh, the other one's been from 1940s, uh, Monroe's Motivated Sequence for Persuasion, and it's a five-step process. Again, you need five paragraphs, five pages, five chapters, and uh, Monroe's Motivated Sequence starts with um, uh, attention, 
So what are your statistics? If you watch, if you watch some uh, television info commercials, it's the Monroe motivated sequence where they get you with some, I love the, the glass boat guy, you know, that has the um, sealant and you think he's going to fall in the water and he doesn't. So what's your attention step? How do you grab people's attention? And then what is their need? What do they need? Well, they need a, a, a product that makes sure that things don't leak when it's important that they don't leak. And then the satisfaction step is, yeah, this product, look at me, I'm sitting in a glass boat with this product and I'm, I'm dry. And then what's the benefit? And then uh, always when you're persuading, what's the call for action? What do you want people to do? So if you call within the next 10 minutes, we're going to send you two of these for 1995. <laughs> so great fun. And there's so many more. The students laugh at me because I get really excited about these, these frameworks, but. I hear, I'll be hearing from them. They're, they're, they just left. There'll be, the first years will be in their summer internships here within days and weeks. And I'll be getting phone calls saying, June, what was that one that you really liked? I need it right now. So great fun. Well, interesting question here in the Q and A about, so we talked a lot about speaking, mm -hmm. um, but this person is asking about listening, right? So you talked about civil discourse. Ooh, yes, yes. The importance yes. of being open. Yes. And yeah. what I'm hearing you say is that listening is also an equally important part of this communication work. When you get to the Darden Case Method classroom, what you're going to see is a group of people who listen very, very carefully. It's one of the hardest parts of the Case Method um, teaching as a faculty member is to focus and listen to what the student says. You will see us write on our boards your comments. And we only write what you say. We don't write and edit what you say. So what goes up in our in our uh, summary notes on a blackboard or a whiteboard is what your comments are. And they have to be accurate. And you have to listen very carefully. I was just at a, a, a meeting month ago with President Jim Ryan, our president of the University of Virginia, talking about the issue of civil discourse. And the first thing he said is we need to listen better to each other, not interrupt, not be thinking about our ideas as we listen to someone else's ideas, but to allow that person to fully explain what they're saying. And that is one of the hardest skills. Uh, my father-in-law used to say, loose lips sink ships, which is an old World War II um, uh, saying, and it's true. So the more you listen, you can't get into trouble. Well, I want to make sure that we talk about the, a number of the things that you've done uh, during your time here at the Darden School. You keep coming back to the personal, Brett, you know. I, I know. That's, uh, that, that's my fault. You blame your moderator uh, there, uh, June. But you were involved in a program that I will admit, before I came to Darden, I knew a little bit about this program because my mom taught for 40 years in Charlotte Mecklenburg. She had colleagues who participated in this program. It's a partnership for leaders in education program uh, that is offered uh, here at Darden in collaboration with UVA School uh, for Education. Um, what got you involved with this work and why are you passionate about it? Well, all of my degrees are in education, but most of my teaching and work has been in business. And when I was doing my doctorate at Lehigh in the evening, because I was working full time and it was just easy for me to, to get out of class, <clears throat> And um, head up the mountain at Lehigh University and take my education classes at night, excuse me. I noticed that what I was studying was what we were teaching. So we were studying school finance and school human resources and communication and leading organizations. And that's what was going on back in it with my colleagues and what we were doing at the uh, College of Business at Lehigh University. And I wrote a paper about it and I thought, you know, there's some synergies here. And 
one afternoon in, in November, I'll never forget it, it was um, just the day before Thanksgiving, and our dean of executive education at the time, Brant Allen, an accounting professor, now retired, just a wonderful person, um, very thoughtful. And he came to me one day and he said, June, all of your, your degrees are in education. I said, yes, sir. And he said, so if you could do anything for um, educators, what would you do? And I said, well, that's a no-brainer. We run so many beautiful executive education courses for CEOs in their top uh, C-suite. If schools could afford our executive programs, I would love to have a similar program for school superintendents and their top executive, uh, their their top uh, cabinets. He said, I like that idea. Write a paper, get it to me by Monday. I said, but sir, it's Thanksgiving. And he said, yeah, that's tomorrow. I'd like the paper on Monday. Well, he had a, a wonderful alum, uh, uh, Mark Templeton at the time was the CEO of Citrix Corporation in uh, Broward County. Uh, Mark and his wife loved the idea so much that they gave us our seed money to get it started. I went over to the uh, College of uh, Education here at the university. And they were delighted to join us. Uh, Tierney uh, Temple Fairchild uh, came on as the executive director, and we got this thing rolling, where we brought in school superintendents and their top teams from Broward and Palm Beach County for about three years. The idea was that if uh, uh, people would donate uh, to the, uh, the for their school systems in their counties, that's where we would go. Because, um, as Mark Templeton said, he was in Broward County competing with the Silicon Valley companies for top talent. And why do people move to organization or to cities? Is because of their schools. And so he wanted to put money into their schools. We had a funny call, Tierney and I, um, a couple years later from uh, then-Governor uh, Mark Warner here in Virginia, a uh, now-Senator Warner, and he said, uh, gals, I'll never forget the call. I'm sure Tierney wouldn't either. Um, what, are you, what are you doing in Florida? Why aren't you working in Virginia? We sort of explained the model to him, and he said, well, he said, I'd like you to think about how to turn around low-performing schools as we turn around low-performing businesses. And we both went, wow, that's a really cool idea. And so then the partnership, that part of the partnership was was founded. That is still going strong today. Uh, William Robinson is our executive director. Uh, 20 years later, we've been throughout America, uh, Indian reservations, um, cities, schools, even Cleveland, my hometown, uh, Virginia, uh, all over, uh, helping schools, superintendents, principals, and teachers, and students in low-performing schools. Uh, I was very excited. I went to back to Cleveland a couple of years ago, and one of our um, near West Side uh, schools in Tremont, um, a dual-language uh, school, Hispanic, uh, was the top school in the, uh, in the state of Ohio in terms of reading scores. So when you see that, it's, it just, it gives me chills. So it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful program. I'm delighted. Um, I've been asked to, uh, be the co-faculty lead this year, um, with Matthew Wheelock from the College of Edu uh, Education here at UVA to, um, be the co-faculty leads for our joint MBA MED program. I have an MED. So I can't wait till classes start in August and we have both our, our, our second years back and our new first years who are going to do dual degree programs and to be able to work with them. The new population that I'm working with right now is, um, indigenous American Indian students who are in a university and um, so be working with the um, Indian College Fund um, to see if we can do some mentorships and partnerships with with that population. And I also work with uh, state superintendents uh, West, five of them and their key cabinet uh, officers. 
on the many, 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 many problems that are facing our pre-collegiate education today. So there's lots of opportunity for the uh, joint MBA, MED pro uh, students on practicums, papers, research, uh, whatever, just conversations with, with our, our educators. And we certainly need that today. So see, Brett, you get me started on something. I could talk for two more hours on the Partnership for Leaders in Education. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful program. Well, what our attendees are starting to put together is June West knows a lot of people, or should it, maybe I should say a lot of people know June West, I, I think is probably the, the way to think about that. One of the things I also want to talk about, which is really cool, when we were originally trying to find a date uh, for this conversation, you said, hey, a little bit later in the summer, I'll be doing some work with the Pentagon. Uh, so maybe we could do it a little bit earlier. And I know you've been involved with the Secretary of Defense Executive Fellows Program uh, for a while. Do you want to talk a little bit more about what this program is and how you uh. got involved with it? Another one of my passions. Yeah, I've been involved with the um, Secretary of Defense Executive Fellows Program since 2000. Um, the director of the program at that time, um, we were placing, it started in the mid-90s by Secretary of Defense uh, Perry in order to bring back um, business transformation and innovation to corporation or to the services. It's uh, active duty military officers at the 0506 level, so captains and colonels. They've had 20, 25 years in their services. All services are represented, including the National Guards, Coast Guard, um, of course, Navy, Army, uh, Marines, and um, hope I'm not forgetting anybody. Air Force, excuse me. And the space. This year we have space uh, officers from our Space Force. And what they did not have is a business um, part of their summer orientation, orientation. And I was asked if I would be interested in writing a government contract to add a business uh, program so that the officers, when I did a focus group with them, they, of course, say what we all say is we don't want to go into corporations and look stupid. We want to be able to understand the company that we're working for for the nine months and, and some of the language that's much different than what we know. Um, and so every summer they come here to Darden for about seven days. Um, we have a wonderful group of Darden faculty in accounting, finance, marketing, strategy, uh, communication, uh, organizational development that from eight to five, these military officers study just like a, an MBA classroom. We condense it as much as we can. Uh, they are also tasked with each at the end of the day, making sure that the topics that we talk about, how does that relate to their company? So they have to give a brief at the end of the seven days on their company. And I just was at um, Merck Corporation. We have a military officer there just ending his fellowship. And each officer gives a two-day company um, a visit so that everyone else can come to their company. I can't go to all of them. We have 19 officers because of my teaching. But in the last month, I've been able to do three, Raytheon, Merck, and um, Shell Oil in Houston, which was very interesting. But the gentleman at Merck said to me, he said, wow, you know, Mick was so, so impressive when he first came because he knew so much about the company. And I thought, yep, what we're doing at the Darden School is is, is important. And uh, the military officers are very enthusiastic. So we have a whole new group coming in the middle of July, another 19. I'm looking forward to to working with them. Another thing you're involved with, and yes. we have a couple of admissions podcasts, yes. uh, Experience Darden and Exec MBA podcast, and you also have a podcast. I do. Steve I do. Steve Soltis hosts a podcast out there. 
in the world uh, for those yeah. of you who are looking for it. It's called CEO Voices. Um, mm-hmm. It's in its second season, right? Third season's on third the way. Season. Third season. Third okay. season of summer. Well, I can't tell who, who it is, but it is an unbelievable lineup of folks. Yeah. That's a very funny story, Brett. You are pulling out some lot of personal stuff here, which I never do. My colleagues, if any of them see this, are going to say, wow, she's been here 27 years. We didn't know much about this. Um, my father-in-law, Fred West, was um, president of Bethlehem Steel and back in the 70s and 80s while I was teaching at Lehigh. And as I said, one of my passions is fishing, and I was um, – grateful to be married into a family of all fishermen, both fly fishing and uh, bait fishing. And I often would find myself sitting in a rowboat with my father-in-law and we would just paddle around lakes and, and fish into the reeds. And I got an opportunity to chat with him about stuff. And then through the years, he would call me, I would call him when there was you know big news days like we're seeing. And I'd ask uh, dad what he thought. And I'll never forget, a fun, he was a Harvard, um, he had an advanced degree, management degree from Harvard and undergrad from Cornell. And he called me one day and he was not happy. And I said, what's up? And he said, June, why do we, Harvard's just starting an ethics department at, at, at the business school, which he graduated from. And he said, why are we teaching uh, MBA students? Why do we need to teach them ethics? Because of course, in his world, you did the right thing. Now, um, we can talk about that in the classroom at some point that, you know, these guys years ago, they thought they may have been doing the right thing, but perhaps they didn't really think about it. Ramifications. I'm not going to say that, but I, I often thought, wow, wouldn't it be fun to have students to be able to have conversations with uh, CEOs and see what's on their mind and what do they think about some of the stuff that's going on? And when Steve Soltis joined us after um, 30 years writing for CEOs, uh, last um, uh, position was at Coca-Cola as a, a head of C-suite communication and the chief speechwriter for Mutar Kent, now retired CEO, and in our first season podcast, Mutar. And Steve said, well, let's do a podcast. Let's let's call CEO Voices, Leading with Communication, and let's get these CEOs to talk about the importance of communication. And no one has said no to us. So we've had our season one. We had great folks, um, uh, um, Mutar Kent and um, Craig Lesseter and uh, um, Frank Blake, uh, retired CEO from Home Depot, and uh, Michelle Nunn. Michelle Nunn, who's president of Care USA, who is super busy today with the humanitarian efforts around the world. Um, second year, second season was entrepreneurs. So we had uh, Hayes Humphreys, who's an alumni from Darden, started Devil's Backbone uh, Brewery here in uh, Nelson County, which was bought by Bush, Anheuser-Busch. And um, uh, Charlotte Haynes from the uh, Haynes uh, clothing uh, line, but also an entrepreneur in um, Lower Virginia, Southwest uh, Virginia. Jennifer uh, Beseglia from um, Interos, who's a running a billion-dollar startup company in Washington. Um, so just uh, really interesting, interesting people all talking about communication and giving giving MBA students that opportunity to have the kind of dialogue I had uh, years ago with CEOs and, and continue with the Secretary of Defense program to be able to to talk to CEOs and see you know what's exactly on their mind. Um, in today's world with today's uh, leadership. Many of these uh, folks come to Darden in either our leadership speakers series, which uh, brings in uh, chief executive officers. And many of them have zoomed into our classes. Uh, Steve and I teach a class on communicating transformation and disruption. Um, and they are happy to, to zoom in and, and offer insight and just have a really honest, good dialogue with our students 
So uh, great fun. Lots of great fun. Like I said, Darden is just the innovation entrepreneurial spirit here is, is, is exhilarating. One of the things that's come up in the Q&A is about communicating across generational difference. And you talked about this a little bit earlier about mm -hmm. you have earlier career employees, you maybe have people who are you know, further along 20, 30 years into their career, um, all navigating this kind of very unusual time, lots going yeah. on in the world. Um, how do you help organizations think about communicating across this really diverse generational set? That is top of mind of the in the three um, companies that I visited this past month, talking to the CEO, CFO, CHOs, um, the chief marketing um, and chief human resources. Top of mind, that's what they talked about. Uh, one of the biggest issues is having people like me in an organization and then having brand new, you know, newly minted PhDs, MBAs out of fresh out of college, perhaps. And how do we get the, all of these different generations, uh, not to mention you know, different backgrounds and experiences and, and feelings to begin to work together? Um, the, one of the CEOs was saying that today to be promoted, he needs to promote his young people within three, three and a half years, not 10 years, 15 years. And so how do you deal with people who have been promoted after 10 or 15 years of work? looking at people who are only being or be promoted now at three and a half years. And so the whole idea of having to work with older people to help us understand the transitions, also to help us learn to mentor and to um, have good conversations and, and good opportunities to meet with younger uh, uh, people, same with younger people, things that they can do for us as mentor us, senior uh, uh, employees. I remember years ago at Lehigh, um, one of the professors was was opining about institutional memory. His name was Jim Hobbs, um, management professor. And I said, Jim, what do you mean by institutional memory? And he said, I'm worried that we're losing all of our, our seasoned uh, and older faculty because that's where the institutional memory is. And that's always stuck with me that how important it is that we maintain institutional memory and history. And so that is something that the older employees can offer to younger people to pass that kind of baton, but also to maintain that, that you know, part of our culture perhaps are some of these issues. And now as we're working with um, diverse and um, inclusion and, and equity, it becomes even more so to be able to put aside our differences or stereotypes or perceptions of people and really goes back to listening, Brad. And sitting down with people, we had a wonderful speaker at a conference a couple of years ago here at Darden that said, never eat alone. And I went, wow, that's really cool. He said he never has lunch by himself. Now, that might be hard for some of us, uh, for me, who has a tendency to at my desk. But he got me off my desk and to start getting into the our Abbott Center dining room and also our cafe and just sitting down and having lunch with, with folks and asking people to have lunch, ask people to have coffee so that you you really do begin to to interact with each other. We first have to listen to each other. We have to understand each other. We have to get to know each other. And then we can work with each other and supervise each other. Well, June, are you working on anything right now that you're really excited about or maybe something that you'd like to share here with our audience? I mean, you're staying busy. Uh, let's be very clear. Um, mm -hmm. So you already talked about so much, but any anything you'd like to note here for our attendees? Um. One of my passions, I was um, honored 
last year with a chair, the uh, Marjorie R. Sands um, chair of uh, the business administration. Mrs. Sands, of course, was the wife of Frank Sands, and the Sands family has been so generous with uh, Darden, um, their Mr. Sands alumni, along with some of his uh, children. Um, we have the Sands family grounds in Northern Virginia, which is our site of our uh, Northern um, classes, not to mention what he's done for us here. And in March, Mrs. Sands' memory, um, the money that I received through the chair, I'm using to continue a women case study project that I've been passionate about. Many of the women faculty here at Darden are writing case studies on um, women protagonists, senior executive women, uh, senior leadership uh, folks in different organizations, um, so that we have good good cases in the classroom that also reflect the diversity in the classroom. Also international women, um, because of my son in Paris, I, I know a lot of um, senior executive women in an international arena. So we certainly want to bring in more global um, um, uh, cases. I also do a lot of work in Bahrain and Dubai. I have been working in, in Bahrain since 1998, so trying to get some case uh, cases from um, the Middle East, uh, a very important part of the world, a lot of, of um, work going there. <clears throat> As I mentioned, the MBA, MED program. So we'll be working with uh, Professor Dr. Wheelock uh, this summer to um, get those activities going for next year and to see what we can do. Um, that's, that's going to be exciting. And... Um, the part-time MBA program, uh, there's a whole new um, leadership communication course and curriculum that needs to be designed and developed. So that'll, that'll keep me busy for the couple of, couple of weeks before we gear up for August 15th for the start of, of school. So excited to be back in the classroom for sure. So that's, that's what I'm up to. Well, yeah, just a, just a few things. Uh, there. <laughs> How are we doing? Okay. All right. So last question here for you, June. Mm -hmm. um, as we wrap up, um, covered so much today, but I wonder if you have a final word of advice, something you would encourage our attendees to take <laughs> with them as they think about Darden pursuing an MBA, um, this next step potentially on the professional journey. Yeah, that's a big one too. Um, for those of you who are taking two years off from your career, a uh, very important um, decision to be made, particularly with families and so forth. Um, but very important, as I've been reading the newspapers the last couple of weeks about the return on investment of graduate programs, um, MBA programs are still staying pretty, pretty high up there with the return on investment, particularly coming to a, a school like Darden, where we are really focused on community and a community that's going to stay with you for the rest of your career. The, the friendships that you will form here with both your um, colleagues and our administrative great staff like Brett and Maggie, um, and then the faculty. Uh, I just had a, a text this morning from an alum that's been out a couple years and changing jobs and would like to do some behavioral interview. Um, so we're always helping and just staying in touch with people, get some fun photos from uh, about babies and marriages and so forth. So that's the really fun part about the community here at Darden that you would be joining. Two years goes really quickly. Um, you have to be present 
we've talked about listening, but the Darden case classroom is a place where you have to show up and be present. And for those, some of you who are not used to speaking in classes, um, it's a great place for you to come because you're going to be forced to. I know it's scary, but we'll help you through that. We'll help you get over it. You can always tell your professors, I, I'm, I'm reluctant to speak, and we'll, we'll give you what we call a, a, a soft call. Where we'll say, okay, now, Brett, I'm going to ask you in a couple of minutes and you know, think about what, what, what you might say here. So we're, we're really great about that. But I would ask you to please um, really participate in class. Don't worry about looking stupid. We all feel that we're stupid. And what's really nice is when someone in class who takes the courage and says, I don't understand this, or could you please, you know, can we go back to this point? I'm not sure I'm clear on that, or I really don't know if I agree with this. There's probably six to seven, if not 20 people in the room going, oh, I'm so glad that person asked that because I wanted to, but I was too afraid. So be that person that, that says, okay, let's do that. That goes back to my issue of civil discourse as well. Um, that be the person that says, no, no, no I want to listen to what Maggie has to say. No, you know, Maggie, that's an interesting point. Or Maggie, you've had your hand up for a while. And, and it's, I think you might want to say something. So you definitely want to help out each other and make sure that we are, um, in an, an environment that we feel all feel comfortable um, talking about what we believe in and what our values are. I say to the international students in particular, please come and share with us your country's cultures. We do a lot of um, really fun things here uh, with um, uh, social events to help everyone understand where all the different places that we, we come from. Um, I certainly would encourage you to to make sure that you talk about your experiences. And this goes for all students. You have to have several years work experience. And I sometimes say to my students, what happened to those? You don't talk about them. So please come to the classroom with uh, conversations, examples, stories from your experience in the in your different uh, businesses, organizations that you come from, particularly internationally. So I think those would be the two top of mind for me would um, you know, be present, help us create a classroom environment where everyone feels they can be heard. Uh, don't be afraid to, to, to say you don't know something. If you want, don't want to do it publicly, you can always come up after class and say, June, I, I don't know. I just, uh, can we talk about that? The other great thing about the, the garden community is the fact that the, the, we don't have office hours. We're um, available to students. So you, We'll be back into our offices this coming fall. You're always welcome to stop in or ask for a Zoom call or, or a phone call and just say, I'd, I'd like to chat. And we're, I, that's one of the best things. If we have, do we have a minute? Where are we doing on time? Oh, we're a little over. Yeah. So. Well, thank, thank you so much, June. It's been such a pleasure. And I always feel with these conversations, we could just keep going and going. There's always so much to love talk to. about. We'd and love to. To our attendees, thank you so much for being here today. Mm -hmm. It's been wonderful having you along for this conversation. We got such great questions in the Q&A. So thank you for being engaged and actively <laughs> listening um, as we've uh, gone through this conversation. If you enjoyed this conversation, and I trust that you did, please join us again in June, June 17th at 10 a.m., same time Eastern, here uh, for a conversation with Professor Manel Balsells. We actually have the Office Hour series scheduled all the way out through early August uh, with a 
number of great faculty. Um, so hopefully you'll be able to join us throughout these summer months. But as always, you can find the recording for these sessions, both on the Discover Darden blog and the audio on our podcast channels. That's Exec MBA podcast. For those of you interested in the Executive MBA program, our working professional program, one of our working professional programs here, as well as the Experience Darden mm -hmm. podcast, which is focused on the full-time residential MBA experience. June, thank you again. Oh, thank you. Thank you, everyone. And you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on my faculty webpage. And I'd be happy to talk for a couple more hours if you want to. <laughs> so, Brett, thank you, Maggie, for inviting me. This was great fun. And uh, hope to see many of you at the Darden School in the, the years to come. Please come in and say, hey, heard you on your podcast. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Have a great have a weekend. Good, have a great weekend. And that was my interview with June West, the Marjorie R. Sands Associate Professor of Business Administration here at the Darden School of Business. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at Darden, that's D-A-R-D-E-N, at virginia.edu. Until next time, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.